The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. Before I introduce my guest, I'm going to tell you the following. So if you were concerned that Los Angeles residents were going to sail away in the hurricane slash earthquake, the hurricane is what people are calling it. We are okay. We're just fine. Palm Springs, on the other hand, like I was, there's definitely massive flooding. And the thing is, is me thinking that I'm an expert on hurricanes just growing up in the East Coast. I was really freaked out by the fact that um, we had this tropical storm hurricane warning. I'll bring my guest in a second and ask her about it. But we don't get this stuff in California. So if you don't believe in global warming or that the climate is changing, I, I just, I don't know what to say to you. We haven't had a warning like this since 1939. Um, I was driving my husband insane because I was like, go to the store. We need to get water. We need to get like gas in our car. We need to get money out. It's good to always be prepared in emergencies, But I was going like you would have thought that like it was the end of the world because I was so paranoid. I'm going to introduce my guest right now, Violetta Zanorkowski. And I'm saying that really slowly because I wanted to make sure I said it correctly. Is that correct? I said it the first time when we practice Zanorkowski. I'm so impressed. That is correct. Yeah. Oh, my God. I feel like I won a contest right now. Um. Before I kind of give your impressive background, you live in Australia. You grew up in the States. Yeah. What part of the States did you grow up in? New Jersey. Okay. So you're an East Coaster. I knew I liked you. East Coaster, baby. (laughs) But do you know like how it is? Because we grew up on the East Coast. Like we are constantly worried about these hurricanes. Whereas. Oh, yeah. When you live here in LA, I've lived here over 20 years. We were sitting in our living room and I was just like sitting on a chair and the house started shaking during this so-called hurricane, which was really just here a little bit of rain. But people were like going insane. It was all over the news all day long. Like you would have thought it was the end of the world. Were you by chance watching the American news yesterday? I wasn't. But that reminds me of when countries like Australia get a sprinkle of snow Uh And they just start like freaking out, things shut down. And on the East Coast, you could be walking with like three feet of snow or 10 feet of snow on either side and no one bats an eyelash. So that's what that reminds me of. Well, it's just so (laughs) weird. People in L.A. are the worst drivers in general. 
But also nobody knows how to drive in the rain here. It's so weird. Like people are like, oh my God, it's sprinkling. And people like to pull over to the side of the road. But yeah, we're fine. If your entire house shakes and dishes fall and there's an earthquake, it's like, whatever, move on to the next thing. We've all been put here for a reason and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. I'm going to introduce you right now. So Violetta Zanorkowski, now I'm a professional. Violetta, a.k.a. Violet, you said you prefer either. So I'm going to call you Violet because she said it was okay. She is a brain body trainer, a holistic therapist, a podcaster, and her company and podcast are both called Expand and Impact. Welcome to the podcast. Did I say everything correctly? You did. And before we jump into the nitty gritty, I just Mm -hmm. realized that maybe my mic if my mic isn't connected, it's my laptop microphone and not my mic mic. That's fine. Can, That's can fine. you hear me okay? Yeah, I've never, totally. Okay. Yeah. And I we're not editing sure. this out. I'm not editing it That's out. That's fine. So everyone just know that sometimes these things can happen in the world of podcasting. And sometimes I don't want to edit stuff out. So yeah, you're yeah. totally fine. Don't even worry about it. Um, Two mics and I'm on the wrong one. <laughs> no, I mean, I do that stuff constantly. I mean, the I have a story. So one day I recorded with a man and he was the nicest man. And I recorded the entire episode and lost the whole episode. And oh. I... I did like I did I had to tell him and we're supposed to reschedule but it's like I don't like sometimes you don't it's out of your control like these things happen it's called technology you know anyways welcome to the podcast now that we have the little that stuff out of the way I was intrigued by you um just to start because I haven't ever had anybody on that um describes what they do in the way that you do And I want to start out by saying something really briefly. So it's really important in life. um, We're all going to go through something in life, right? And I happen to have heard a few stories in the past couple weeks and um, one of which is horrific. And I just want people to understand that grief is grief and it takes all different kinds of forms. And at some point in your life, you're going to go through grief or you're going to go through loss. And part of why I do what I do and I bring people like Violet on is to kind of like normalize talking about grief and loss and trauma and all the things that I talk about, but also know that it's okay to, to be going through things and not know how to deal with them. So I was intrigued by what you wrote on your bio and wanted to have you on because of that exact reason. And I feel Mm -hmm. like it's fitting today because I am kind of sitting with some bad news that I've been hearing from several people over the past couple of weeks. And I was hoping we could just first start out with a little um, background on you and then kind of get into it. So, so I just kind of wanted to start out there. Thoughts? Thank you for that introduction. And also, as you were speaking, I can definitely sense that grief. I don't know what you're going through, but I can definitely sense it in the room. And it's, you know, grief in general, like you mentioned, takes many forms. And sometimes in the most subtle situations that people don't validate us for, that Mm -hmm. it can be really hard to admit that we are actually feeling some sort of type of way if the external world and what we're conditioned on the outside doesn't match up with how grief is supposed to look. So I'm really excited to jump in and also share a little bit about how grief, the the role grief has played in my life, which is a bit, I suppose, uncharacteristic. It's like in these subtle moments that maybe on the outside, people wouldn't know I'm grieving and you never know what someone may be grieving for. And then also that permission to allow ourselves to grieve for things that 
are different that maybe aren't these big tragedies or these big like pieces of news that we get, but actually on a more intimate level with ourselves and how we change. There's a lot of grief involved in change. Well, I think too, like for the news that isn't directly affecting me and I, and I, at some point maybe we'll share it down the road, but it's, um, it's when things in life, when things happen to people, good people, and we don't understand why. And it's, I'm a very spiritual person. Okay. And I just, I don't understand why some people like one person seems to go through their whole life and, you know, nothing really seems, I mean, we never know what people are going through really, but just like tragedy after tragedy and like why certain people have to go through certain things. And sometimes I'm just completely stopped in my tracks. And, you know, when this is what I do now for a living, this is my job. And I try to talk to people and give advice from my own experiences with loss Mm -hmm. and grief but also just like being like, why, why do some people have to go through so much? So before we kind of get into your story, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I ask myself this question as well, Megan, Mm -hmm. because there is so much that we do control within, you know, creating our reality and creating our own path you know, meeting people or going into relationships, we can say no, we can say yes, we can lean in, we can lean out. And yet I do ask myself the question, why do some people seem to be going through more of the hardship? And I don't have an answer to that other than that's some people's fate. And I guess that's what separates, you know, the parts of life that we do have control over and the parts that we don't. And in those moments, I always invite you know, the women that I work with, I always remind myself is, well, where, where can I control the situation that is out of my control in the sense, how can I decide to react to it, to respond to it? So I don't know why some people go through more, but I do know that we each have that individual ability to decide how we respond to even the most tragic news. And that's where our power lies. Okay. Well, let's get it. Yeah. And thank you for that answer. It's just, it, this is you know, you, some days you just, or weeks or months you go through and it's like, you don't, it's like everything's fine. And then all of a sudden it's like within a matter of days, you hear bad news, like something bad happens to like multiple people. And you're just like, why? And like you said, like, I believe we never are going to know the reasons why these things happen until I personally believe we meet our maker. That's like the Mm -hmm. one thing that I believe but yeah. it's just like sometimes you have to take a step back and just go, well, why, why so much? Why so much at one time? So thank you for that. So I want to hear a little bit about you. So you live in Australia. You were originally a New Jersey girl. Tell me a little bit about you. Sure. So I am Polish American, first generation in America, born and raised in New Jersey. And somewhere along the way, I made my way overseas quite indefinitely. So I've always been, had the privilege to travel to my roots to Poland when I was younger. And I think that's what sparked that interest in exploring different cultures, being in different places and traveling in me. But it wasn't until I finished college, university, that I decided to come to Australia for like a six month was supposed to be six month overseas experience before I moved back, went to Manhattan, went back to my job, started the whole corporate career and six months turned into almost eight years of living overseas. So I currently live in Australia, but I've been based and professionally worked out of Hong Kong, New Zealand, and um, all over Southeast Asia and in some places in South America professionally. So we're going to be talking about grief today. A lot of travel uh-huh. involves a lot of grief. I'm sure. And changing and seeing the world, especially in spending so much time in de- developing world countries, really has an impact on you and on your understanding of self and the world. Um, but today I 
essentially the way I progressed and was able to travel so much as I worked in experiential education and outdoor education. So for people that have never heard of that, which is most people, I would take youth and adults on these expeditions um, in different places. So we would do like hiking, backpacking, rock climbing, and really focus on cultural integration and community service work leadership skills, emotional intelligence, and really understanding what it means to challenge your comfort zone, what it means to be with discomfort, and how can we use that as a tool for growth, as a tool for internal expansion and really um, learning how to be our best self in the world. And since then, I had my whole burnout story and, you know, being a feminine leader in a masculine male dominated industry also provided so many challenges that I wasn't expecting that we don't talk to young girls about, that this is the reality once you leave school. There's a lot of inequality in the world, especially um, in the workplace. And so I ended up leaving that industry and starting Expand and Impact, which is a developing school of emotional mastery and embodied self-leadership. So I work specifically with women, um, guiding others in the tools that we aren't taught in school, but that deeply shape how we feel about ourselves, how we relate to the world and how we show up as leaders in an authentic way so that we can have the impact that we want, so that we can have the influence that we want without losing ourselves in it, without losing that connection to what's actually important to us and getting caught in all of the emotional turmoil or stress and adversity that exists. Because like you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, why are some things the way they are? I don't have an answer, but I know that there is so much that we can do about that. But if we don't have mastery and control over our own emotional state, we won't have the power to show up in a way where our voice actually can make a difference. So that's that's what I do today. And it's um, it's been influenced by my own experiences in that industry of coming in as a young, confident woman ready to experience the world and do something interesting and leaving that industry a shell of myself completely. Let me, let me stop you right there. Okay? Sure. Because I am think, I mean, there's always a reason why I talk to people at the exact moment when I do. And you're an example of that. This happens to me all the time. I don't know what I'm going to get into when I start the podcast, because for my listeners and for you, what we've had, I've seen a bio and we've had a two minute conversation before we started recording. So really yeah. you don't know the person, but I am a huge believer in things happening for a reason. Okay. Not that's good and bad. So mm -hmm. meeting you today is a gift really, because I feel like I'm meeting you at the exact moment where I had to learn mm -hmm. and talk to you about how I'm feeling as a mother of two daughters and a female myself mm -hmm. and a female that came out of corporate America and like you, you know, was brought up to think, not really think like women are really any different than men. I mean, we know it as young kids, right? The men, the boys are always the ones that kind of get the accolades in sports and the girls are supposed to be like pretty and go to dances. And, you know, I happen to have a 13 year old. So I'm going through all the like middle school stuff that like, literally I look up at the sky and go baby Jesus. Why do it? Like, it's bringing, it's bringing like horrific flashbacks right now. Yeah. Um, I bet. <laughs> yeah. But I love what you said and I love your honesty and candor about, and I feel like an idiot bringing this up, but I'm going to bring it up. Gosh, darn it all. Have you seen the Barbie movie? I literally just saw it like three days ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have now I seen it, it two times. Okay. I left, I had like snot bubbles, like coming out of my nose bawling, crying in the theater because people need to understand it's exactly that whole monologue that mm -hmm. America Ferrar says that you couldn't say it any better, right? It's like, yeah. it's kind of what you said. It's like, you, you're so excited. You're, you get out of college. You're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to like teach these young kids about outdoor education and being being like able being to awesome. like, yeah, being awesome. <laughs> being awesome. And then, and then you like go teaching. into the world, like a baby chick, like with all yeah. this confidence to just have it like scooped out of you to feel like a shell of a human and that you, what you're doing in your life doesn't make a difference. 
Yeah. It do, I mean, that's the thing. I was in corporate America. I, I would do the same, say the yeah. same things at me, big meetings. I would do the th- same things as the men. I would watch the men get promoted and I was treated like a dumb blonde always. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, and you, I need to say that to you just by what you said. I was really, really struck by it. Go ahead. Yeah. And what just came to mind as I'm hearing you reflect that back to me is just that feeling that I think many women can relate. You spend so much energy pushing, 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 pushing that that takes away from like what you're actually meant to be doing and your genius zone and what you're actually good at and what you actually want to be pursuing because you're putting all of this energy and mental and emotional effort just to keep your head above water or to be seen or to be heard and to be understood and recognized and acknowledged and to be, you know, standing on an evil platform with your colleagues, with the people around you. It doesn't even have to be in the workplace. In the workplace, We see this all the time, just uh, moving through the world. But I think that inner pressure to keep pushing is so common. And it's also the very thing that makes us successful, keeps us resilient, keeps going, but also is our downfall. And it burns us out and makes us lose connection to ourselves and makes us second guess our inherent worth or like what we're even doing. Do I even contribute? Does my voice even matter? Is it easier just to stop? And there is a beautiful medium. There is that happy middle, but it does take learning the skill to redirect your focus and attention from that pushing externally back onto yourself. And I see that for you, perhaps it might've been stepping away completely and starting something you like podcasting, which I know is so freeing. It must be so freeing to be able to use your voice in this way after years and years of perhaps speaking into an empty room and waiting for someone to look at you and actually show that they're listening and that they care what you have to say. So mine for my listeners that probably that know, um, mine manifested into like horrific panic attacks. Um, you know, it was a culmination of like, you know, pretty much a nervous breakdown and I had to get out. And then I, and then. Oh, me I, too. Yeah. And <laughs> so then I was the like, same in that way. <laughs> yeah. And so my therapist was like, you need to do something creative. And then I started this when I was drooling in a corner. Um, Amazing. Not really, but I might as well have been in yeah. 2020. And then it's, that's what I do now. So, um, but what I was going to ask you is, this is kind of off topic, but I think on topic, I always want to get to the bottom of, because I wrote, I'm going to hold my little chapter in this book that came out because I don't talk enough about it. It's called Her Badass Story for my YouTubers. And I wow. haven't been promoting it. You can get it on YouTube and I have it. I'm writing my own book, but I wrote this chapter and I talk about in the chapter how women, I was in this horrible friend breakup and these women were so nasty. I call them the Karens. And, um, <laughs> all the and, Karens. <laughs> yeah, all the Karens. And so I always am curious when you talk about it being in an industry now where you're only dealing with women, do you have an opinion on why women are are so mean to each other and can treat each other so horrifically. And to piggyback on that, I always wonder if it really stems from childhood and how we had to be like competing against each other for the boys, but also competing against each other in work in in all of the different things that we do. So it manifests into us being competitive and mean girls to each other. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I I would say that it's a little bit of everything you just shared. Mm-hmm. And primarily the shaping and the like internalized competition that we're mm-hmm. taught at such a young age. And I recently shared this story um, with this group that I'm a part of. If it's okay for me to share, I feel like it would fit perfectly to kind of please exemplify do. That's it. what you're here for. Yeah, please. So, so when, I, when I was in the eighth grade, we're going to go all the way back. I ran for student council class president. And I remember being so excited just to run and I didn't feel any internal competition. I had my focus strictly on like, what can we do to make the school better so kids can have more fun and, you know, all of these 
beautiful childhood dreams and things. But a part of me wanting to run, of course, was my older brother ran five years before me at the same school and he won. So it ignited this, um, I suppose, clarity in me that like if if my older brother can be president of the school, so can I. And I was running against my classmate called John. And I remember a pivotal switch in that moment where his friends started to come up to me during the election process and telling me that I wasn't going to win and that people liked him better than they liked me and that he, he was the obvious choice to become class president in the eighth grade. And I remember in those moments where my classmates would come up to me and tell me that I wasn't going to win, that armor started to close up. And I went from being excited to be class president, not understanding what that means at that young age, to starting to armor up and feeling that self-doubt start to trickle in. So what does it mean if I lose? Do people not like me? Why would they come up to me and tell me I wasn't going to win when I wasn't even thinking about competition or competing or being better than someone because I was just competing with myself? And I remember starting the election process really excited. And before they announced the winner, I was so nervous and riddled with self-doubt and uncertain about what the outcome could be. Whereas before that, I wasn't even really considering the outcome. I was thinking of the impact that being in this role could have at such a young age. And needless to say, there was this moment where we were sitting in our in English class, eighth grade English, Mr. Barrow's room. And they announced it over the speaker who won the election and I won. And I felt myself open up with excitement until I looked across the room and the boy that I was running against was hysterically crying. So all of the attention was on him because he was like inconsolable and he was asked to leave the room for a moment to put himself together and I never got that moment of celebration. So there was this like interesting experience at such a young age of like, oh, wow, I actually won. And like feeling myself open up again and then seeing that perhaps there isn't room to celebrate or that my winning means I took away from someone else. Since I won, I upset him because this was the reaction. And of course, at such a young age, you blame yourself because that's how the human mind works, right? It creates your brain's, not full, your brain's not fully developed, obviously. Yeah. You're, as, as women, your brain isn't fully developed until you're about 27. 27. Yeah. yeah, like 27. So you start to internalize all of these experiences, right? And mm -hmm. I thought that it was my fault that I upset him because I won. And I think these moments that we experience in life are the thing that make us compete with each other. And especially as women, when you do work in a male dominated field, I think it's different when you're not, if, if you're working maybe in a field that's more balanced or more um, like maybe like marketing, I know there's a lot more women in that kind of field or um, like creative industries as well. But especially in male dominated field, there is this really internalized competition, this internalized pressure and this like scarcity where there isn't enough for everyone. And then you see it in the hierarchy of the process, right? There's only a certain amount of roles that you could be promoted to. So what does it mean if you're left behind? What does it mean if you're not the one that's being chosen for these roles or you're not being acknowledged for your work? And we start to internalize this competition and this not enoughness in life. There isn't enough space for me if I win, maybe I take away from someone else. Not everyone has that insecurity. Some people are on the other side, pounding through, not caring who they leave in the dust. But nonetheless, it's that same type of energy of there not being enough and there being limited opportunity for people, limited relationships, romantic relationships. We can see this in different areas of our life. And specifically in terms of like the competition against women, I know that in these industries, there is this pressure to kind of be one of the boys, to change yourself. And anything that doesn't help you to move forward or to succeed in a way that we're taught you should, you reject, you compete against. And I was actually bullied um, in my industry by a woman 
And I had never experienced that before. I was in my mid twenties. And again, I came in excited. I was managing a really big team. I was training people to be the next leaders and learn all the skills. And I remember just being so rejected by this woman. And she was so mean to me for no reason. From the moment she met me, she just, I guess, decided she didn't like me for whatever reason. Because you were a threat. And and going back to your story, because um, I have to pipe in, um, my... So I have a middle schooler, like I just said, and you were giving me flashbacks (laughs) and she happened to tell me a story um, coming. She came home in tears. She was at some party and some boy said, everyone in the class hates you. And I was just like, what? Like, why? Why would you say that? And then I remembered like people, boys in particular, like they say if they have a crush on you or whatever it is, they say mean things. But our brains, like you were saying, we're not capable of understanding like an adult would. If somebody said that to you, you'd be like, whatever, and walk away. Maybe not everybody, but most people could just be like, walk away, be bothered by it, but just not like obsess over it. So what I think is important about what you said is that was a pivotal moment in your life. You know, we all have these pivotal moments in our lives that we'll never forget. Um, you were able, you, you're very empathetic, obviously. And I think sometimes I, and I'm empathetic too. Sometimes people that are really empathetic, you maybe wouldn't even have noticed that boy crying in a corner, right? If you were a different kind of person. So mm-hmm. really think about that. Like you were that young yeah. girl, you're met, you're one of these core memories of your life is, I won this contest. I did it. I'm a girl. Like people didn't want me to win. They didn't want me to succeed. I did it. The boy made everybody met like, you know, took the attention against you, took the attention, but instead you, yeah, it hurt you, but you also are an empathetic person. And you realized, wait a minute, like I, I care where some people would have just been like, even kids be like, whatever, he's crying. This is about me turned and got the rest of the class's attention or made fun of him. You never know how kids are going to go, you know? So, um, it's interesting how a core memory like that will affect you for the rest of your life. I know that I have horrific memories like that from my childhood and, you know, girls are so, so mean, even as young kids and boys like teasing. I, I think it's because we need to be People need to do a better job of teaching young kids, sitting them down and being like, this is not your role in life. Like young boy, like you don't have to be a professional athlete, a banker, uh, like a lawyer. You don't have to like work so hard and not talk about your mental health. So by the time you're in your 40s or 50s, you have a nervous breakdown and don't know how to deal with like your emotions. Whereas women... We need to do a better job of supporting each other, really supporting each other and not going up against each other and being unkind and mean and talking shit about each other, just like genuinely supporting each other. And that comes from childhood. And Mm -hmm. honestly, if there was a manual on me being able to understand exactly what to say to my young 13 year old when she's being bullied, I I wish I did because I, I don't understand but I love what you're saying. I think it's so, so important, but I kind of want to backpedal a little bit to the truck. Like I'm, I'm kind of jumped ahead and now I'm jumping back to the part of you that was in that industry. And then you ended up traveling all over the place, left what you were doing because you were a shell of a human being and why you do what you do today. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy sufferers 
Powers Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is that too much of a mouthful? No, not at all. Um, Would you like me to expand on like how that happened or? I would love it. Yeah, I would love it. Also, can I pay, can I hate, why am I saying piggyback all the time? It's so weird. Um, I want to, I want to say. Piggybacks forward, no? I'm like, and by the way, let me piggyback and come back, come back around. Let me tape, let me tape. I don't know why I say that sometimes. It's so weird. You know what I think it is? Side note, sidebar, one time I was in a meeting and there was this man and I I was very impressed by him and he was giving this whole speech and I remember him being like, let me piggyback on that idea. So now all the time when I'm recording and I'm interviewing people, I think I use piggyback way too much. Um, so the, my sidebar is um, about like doing outdoor ed and being mm-hmm. in the outdoors and the things that you were doing. Might I add... There is nothing worse to me as a human being than being in the outdoors, camping and testing my, um, my skills, anything like that. I would have been like, let me out of here immediately and called like my mom to pick me up. So can you tell me kind of, I know that we have kind of have been all over the place, but why you ended up in that industry originally and then like kind yeah. of tell me how it, 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 got you to your wit's end? Sure. So I'm a believer that the desires and the things that interest are interest us individually are unique to us. Mm-hmm. And I've always, since I was younger, had this burning desire for adventure. I started snowboarding from a, from a young age. I've been snowboarding for like 20 years. And I was always interested in wanting to travel. And I knew from a young age that I wanted to live overseas and get paid for it. That's all I knew. There were no more details. I didn't even know that outdoor ed existed. It doesn't exist on the East Coast. I think there's maybe a few more universities now in the U.S. that teach it. But I actually studied something completely different in college and was a part of an outdoor program that gave me enough skills and qualifications to apply for this job that I found online in Australia. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up moving to Australia the first time. <laughs> I've moved a couple of times back and forth now. And like I mentioned, it was supposed to be a six month experience with the skills that I learned in this program now going into this industry. And when I came to Australia, I realized that it's an actual industry, that people here have bachelor's, master's, even doctorates in outdoor education. And it opened up this new career path that I didn't know was possible, that I didn't know was 
um, how can I say this, like legitimate, because from the outside, it looks like, oh, you're just like traveling with kids or you're having fun. When are you going to take life seriously? But actually when you're in this industry, it's a lot of responsibility and you need to have a really high medical qualification, a lot of training on yourself and in like technical skills, which also creates the gap between, you know, men and women, because we're looked at as the carers. We're not looked at as the climbing guide that can um, secure someone to safety. Who's two times our weight, you know? So there's a lot of these like barriers that you have to break through, but essentially that's how I got into the industry and it took me all over the world. And I was educating and teaching, leading and guiding for about 10 years in this industry. And it was really beautiful in a lot of ways because I've seen parts of the world and was immersed in communities that aren't accessible to just the like the normal person who wants to go traveling. Mm-hmm. We were in communities. I remember one time we were building like a toilet for a monk because he wanted one next to his temple. Or we were building um, like sinks for kids to wash their hands in front of their school because they didn't have accessible water in certain parts of their village. And there was a lot of privilege involved that it really highlighted to me my own privilege and where I came from. And at the same time, there was that opposite experience of being understanding my privilege, but also not being acknowledged or respected for what I bring to the table, especially working in these countries where women had few rights coming in as a female leader was a really interesting thing to hold with a lot of complexity involved in it. But essentially, um, kind of to tie things together, you mentioned core, um, like the core situation that happens, like a core memory. And I love the way you put that because it, that moment is one of the things that solidified my core story of not being enough and not being smart enough. And it's from this energy that I spent 10 years working in this industry, having to prove my worth, prove that I am good enough, prove that I know what I'm doing, that I'm qualified, that I spent all these years training and that I can keep people safe. I can educate people. And like, I am worthy of the places that I'm going in and the work that I'm doing and leading from that energy of low self-worth and low self-esteem is what made me completely disconnect from myself. And from the outside looking in, people thought I was confident. You have to have a certain level of grit and confidence to leave your home country, to go off on loan. You have to have a certain level of confidence to um, be able to manage big teams in foreign countries that you have never been to, that you don't speak the language. So there's a lot of confidence on the outside that I had. But on the inside, my main motivating factor was show them that I'm good enough. Show them that I'm smart and, enough. <laughs> and it all, and what, and, and, and it all stems back from John, you know, like one of the pieces, yeah. Amazing, you know, like these stories, yeah. you'll never forget these like core memories, like we talked about, that you have to prove, like, no, 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 I'm going to fake it. I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I, I have to do this. I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do until finally you said you get to a point where you become a skeleton of yourself yeah. and you just can't do it anymore. Yeah, because there's no room for you to struggle in these situations. And showing emotional vulnerability is perceived as a weakness. And so I internalized my experience. I had to have a hard face on especially when other people are leaning on you and this could go beyond your professional life when you are a mother and a family is leaning on your strength, it can be really difficult to connect with that vulnerability that makes us human and to really come to terms with how we are experiencing the moment and admitting that perhaps we're not okay in this moment or that we're struggling too. And that doesn't mean that we're not good enough. It doesn't mean we're not smart enough. It means that we're human. And I think a lot of these industries and a lot of these um, narratives in society take away our humanness. They take away our right to experience the full spectrum of emotions because we label emotions good and bad or strong and weak. Mm -hmm. And I was stuck in that unconsciously, of course. This was not even in my awareness. I had no idea I was doing this. It wasn't until I 
didn't recognize myself in the mirror where I was hiding in the bathroom to cry in the middle of my shift and um, I got physically sick. I started to have these really intense abdominal pain that I, that were unexplainable. And now I know that it was internalized stress. It was internalized stress and trauma that I was holding in my belly and I would grip my gut all day and do my job, show up, be strong. And then when I would lay down to sleep, I would release to go to sleep. And in that release, I had to run up and make it to the bathroom to vomit. And I had this like physical, like my body was physically rejecting the way I was living and the way I was working. And when I started to notice, like the first time that happened, I was like, oh, that's weird. I wonder why maybe it was something I ate. And then I noticed it kept happening every single night I was at work because when you're in this industry, you're, you're on 24 seven. So it's like a contract shift work. And when you start a program, you may be there for five days to three weeks, however long until you have your time off, which is also, I got to travel so much because I had a lot of time off in between work. And I noticed that I would become physically sick every single night. I stayed at work and on the weekend, I wasn't when I was at home. And that was a huge moment of awakening for me that showed me I have to change what I'm doing. Something is terribly wrong because my body is rejecting it. I can't deny it anymore. I can't rationalize it. I can't intellectualize it away because my body is physically stopping me from to look at. It's stopping me to consider what is happening here and stop ignoring these red flags that I'm looking at as like a challenge. And I think any ambitious woman can resonate with this, especially coming from like a very competitive field. We see any resistance as a challenge that we have to overcome and we get excited by it, right? We're like, oh yeah, you said I can't do it. I'll show you. Especially if you're an alpha (laughs) female, especially if you're an alpha female, like we're taught, we're like, oh no, no, you're not. And we, you sounds like, yes, I am. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm like that too. And it can rub people the wrong way. And, you know, if we were men, we wouldn't have this, nobody would treat us the same way. We would be treated very differently. I'll say that. How did you end up? Like, what was your breaking point where you were able, because what I love, I hate saying I love about your story because it sounds horrifically sad. Um, but also there's great things about it. Like you said, like who, who gets to like travel the world and help others in need and do all the things that you've done, but then to take be unhappy. A, yeah, <laughs> but then take a step out of your body and say, I cannot do this anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I went, I'm very like, I, I told you I'm spiritual, but I, I, Tim Braun is a psychic I had on. He's a very famous psychic and I've gone to him several times. And he said to me, um, before, like before COVID happened, he said, if you don't get out of like your current situation, he's like, you're going to literally get, you're going to have cancer and die. Mm -hmm. Like something's going to go wrong. You cannot keep at this pace. You cannot keep doing what you're doing. So I really had to like, kind of take myself out of my body. There was also like all different kinds of things going on in 2019 and early 20. And to be able to like look out, like take myself out of my body and go, I need to do something else. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And then, you know, now I'm doing the things I'm doing, which I think I'm so lucky every week to do this. But look at you. You took yourself out of the situation and now you're doing what you're doing. But think of how many people don't get that gift. They stay in these situations. They keep continue to let themselves be beaten up until it turns into something where it's an illness or or the heart attack or Mm -hmm. all the things that can manifest in the body to becoming. So I think it's, I think it's, it's a gift that you and I got to these places, right? Yeah. I couldn't agree more with what you're saying because I see it as two paths, the path where you're pushing forward with your resilience and your grit and your willpower because you're strong and you have a goal and then your body stops you like it perhaps did for the both of us. And then the other path where you lean on support earlier and you start to get curious and question 
whether life is supposed to be feeling like this. We often deny how much wisdom there is in our feelings and don't stop to consider what they're trying to show us. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of suppress them or numb out or stay busy. And we never create, a lot of people don't create enough, I guess, quiet time in their day to see what's beneath the surface. So you can either keep moving one way until your body stops you abruptly, because it always will, whether through physical illness, burnout, which is still physical illness, or, you know, something worse, or maybe something a bit more mild, or you start to notice listen to these types of conversations and do something about it sooner so that you don't have to go through the pain that that causes. Because the thing that they, that isn't commonly spoken about is how long it takes to come back to yourself after that, you know, after an entire lifetime of pushing, because me being in this industry, wasn't the reason why this happened. That was just one of the things. And then it opened up to me all of the other layers beneath the surface that were that were manifesting this reality for me in a way that was making me push and making me believe that that's the only way to be successful, to live a life, live a good life that is admirable and, you know, respectable, you know, these words, it's like, they kind of feel not so nice to say, but I think deep down, a lot of us want these things, you know, we want to be acknowledged by other people. We want to be validated by other people. It's, it's a human, it's a human need. And it took me two years after this noticing that I, my body was rejecting <laughs> my experience. It took me about two years to actually feel like myself again. And when I and what, started to feel like myself, do? like, how did you, how did you, sorry to talk over you, but how did you get to that point? Luckily, my contract ended with the company that I was working in and I decided to not come back. And this was the time my partner and I, we were doing long distance for about a year. He was in Australia. I was in Hong Kong at the time when this happened. And we decided to um, see if our relationship was worth pursuing. And we moved to New Zealand together. And the second we moved there, all of those years of pushing caught up with me and I just collapsed. I fell into a really deep depression for close to a year. Mm -hmm. And I did the bare minimum just to get through. And I had a lot of time to think and rage and be expressive and like really unfiltered in my humanness in that moment. And I was really in that pain. But for the first time, I didn't mask it with busyness. I didn't mask it with achievement or having goals. I was just sitting in that pain. And it revealed a lot to me. It revealed to me that my motivators for believing that this was the only way to live went way further before I even started working and had a dream to be in any type of industry or any type of leader. It went back to my childhood. It went back to unprocessed and unresolved emotions, moments where I was let down and disappointed and didn't have someone to explain these situations to me and to normalize my experience. And for the first time, the way I started to get out of it to answer more directly is I started to give myself the things that I wanted from other people, but I had to note, realize that that's what I was doing all those years, because how when did you're you in figure, it, how did you figure that out? Like that is your smart cookie. That that's like, that's a hard thing to do. It is a hard thing to do. And this is why I always encourage anyone who relates to this, that you're not supposed to do it alone. Mm -hmm. And had I had support beforehand, I wouldn't have had to go through two years of getting myself out of a hole to realize like, who am I? How does it feel to be me? How does it feel to be in a body that is like open to life and with an open heart that isn't afraid of being hurt, that isn't afraid of being rejected, but to stand firmly in myself, in my own self-trust that like, I can figure it out even when shit hits the fan mm -hmm. instead of closing off from the world. I did it slowly. I spent a lot of time um, journaling and just noticing what came up. And actually meditation was a really big 
saving grace for me during this time. Um, my partner, like I mentioned, we were doing long distance at the time, so he didn't know how to support me, but he was really the only person that I had in my support network who didn't make me feel guilty for my decision to live overseas, who validated my dreams and my desire to continue on with the work I was doing. And he supported me the only way he knew how, and that was by encouraging me at one point when he saw that I was like really losing it to just do five minutes of meditation every day, just make that small promise to myself, nothing too big, you know, the small amount of five minutes, just do that. And in those moments of stillness, where it started, maybe even with three minutes, I couldn't sit still for very long. I had to sit in in the busy thoughts, the endless thoughts. I had to sit in the sensations that I was experiencing that like made me feel like I was just constantly living on edge. And there came a certain point in my practice where I started to break open and I started to have these realizations and really connect with the truth beneath my experience and really connect with the truth of why I felt I needed to show up the way I was showing up. And, you know, the story goes much deeper. I started off initially in like fashion, working in PR in Manhattan before I took this like gap experience in Australia, going into a male and dominated industry where I had to wear loose pants. I had to wear a certain type of clothing to not be too revealing. And I had to completely hide any femininity that I had. So these two polar extremes of being conditioned to be... I would have lasted be, five minutes. I'm just letting you know. I would have been fired. I, mean, I don't even know how... I mean, I wore <laughs> leggings once and I got like in trouble, reprimanded for that. And, oh, God. Um, at, and at the time, it's like, you don't know what you don't know when I was young, you know? And it's like, if you want to make it in this industry, this is what you have to do. So you adapt. But the ways that we adapt in life, we don't realize how it has the power to actually shrink us and to yeah. disconnect us from being fully trusting in who we are. And for a long time, I was like embarrassed of my femininity because that was seen as not serious or weak in the industry. And these were all of the things that I started to realize during my meditation practice of where I was giving my power away and what I was seeking from others, that external validation and where I was compromising so much of myself, because that's what it really comes down to. How much of yourself are you compromising in these moments to get ahead or to reach a certain goal, whether it's professional or personal? That and, is so heavy and deep. Yeah. I love it so much. It also reminds me of like what we were talking about in the beginning where you can't, like if you're a woman, you can't, you can be feminine, but you can't be too feminine. You can be this, but you can't be too that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, the Barbie movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hate, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed. I keep referencing the Barbie movie, but if you haven't seen it, listeners, go out and see it. Because for me, um, I, it, it, and I saw it with my two daughters. It was, I, I just thought it was an unbelievably well-made movie. Um, when you, so when you, do, so let's kind of get to like present day mm -hmm. for the sake of time. Because um, I could talk to you for a very long time. Um, how did you get to become a brain body trainer and a holistic therapist? How did that happen? So I noticed a gap in the industry, which was essentially that we weren't allowed to bring all of ourselves to the table, that you had to kind of fit the mold of what it was to be a leader in this industry. And as when I started to kind of awaken and mend these wounds that I was experiencing, I just started to follow my curiosity. And I know that sounds like really basic, but I think it's such an important skill to develop. It's a skill because we're so conditioned to focus on things outside of ourselves that we deny our own curiosities and actually how those are the things that will connect us with the path that we're supposed to be on. And I was looking for some kind of program online and I found this counseling diploma um, and this trauma diploma that had certain like modalities that I was interested in. And there was like a two-step process. You can either just do the certificate and like learn the thing, or you can continue on two or three years and actually get qualified to 
treat patients and to work with people using the skills that you learn. So I simply enrolled in it to learn about these few categories that were interesting to me. And when I was in it, that's what opened up my world. And I was like, oh, wow, maybe this is what I've been supposed, like I was supposed to be doing all along. And I ended up going through the entire program and developing expanded impact afterwards as a space where women can learn these skills, where we can have a space to slow down just enough to connect with that curiosity and to yeah, see tell me, tell all those me little places. What, tell me about what Expand and Impact is and then a little bit about the podcast with the same name that you started. So Expand and Impact is a school of emotional mastery and embodied self-leadership. And I guide women through many processes that involve working with the thoughts and how we can harness the stories in our mind to quiet down the mind and listen to that voice behind the busyness that is always trying to guide us. We work with the emotional body somatically. So somatic based practices to release any stored trauma or stored stress in the body that is keeping us feeling like we're always re um, going on that same cycle of the patterns we're trying to go away from. And we really practice developing our awareness and cultivating a new intimacy with ourselves, with the inner critic that most of us have, these different parts of us where we feel like a part of us wants to keep pushing and going towards the goal, but a part of us is, has its foot on the brake. And then we feel this like stuckness, this push pull in life. I feel like I'm supposed to be, or I want to go this way, but I feel like something's pulling me back and it's feeling a bit off. There are reasons why we feel this push pull. And in the things that I teach in my expanded impact mentorship program, small group trainings are the skills in rooted in emotional intelligence, nervous system regulation, mind body practices of working with the thoughts, beliefs, and really integrating all of these aspects from different fields in psychology, somatic experiencing, neuroscience for to complement our whole person because we're a whole person. And there's no one quick fix for anything, but my goal with this, um, with the school that I'm developing, and it's still, we're still in the early stages is to have a place where all of these skills can be explored. So we can, so we can lead. (laughs) And you, and you specialize mainly in women, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I hope in the future we can open it up to everyone, but right now I don't have the capacity with the small team that I have to do that, but we folk, we specialize with female leaders and goal getters. So anyone who wants to be a leader or develop their own leadership skills and really own that you can be a leader in all areas of your life, it doesn't need to be professionally, but how do you show up and lead in your home life, in your personal life? Because everything is interconnected, as I'm sure you know. How you do one thing is how you do everything. So how can we like build a bridge so that everything feels cohesive, everything feels aligned, where we're not like compartmentalizing ourselves and morphing ourselves constantly of having to show up this way to fit in here. And then I take off the mask and fit in here because that's exhausting. (laughs) That's so tiring. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it sounds like you did a lot of that. I thought I was like the best at that because I was constantly running from dealing with who I really was, you know? And I think a lot of women, and men deal with that. Like, especially if you're in sales or whatever you do, you have to kind of like morph your personality into being able to talk to people, whoever they are. So it's a lot. Can people yeah. um, reach out to you and work with you if they are not in Australia? Are you available yeah, I, via like Zoom or? Yeah, I work mainly online. So most of my um, clients are actually in North America. Okay. And you can reach out to me on Instagram, expand and impact or LinkedIn under my name, Violetta Znarkowski, if that's more your thing. And like you mentioned, the podcast as well is a good place to kind of tune in where we explore these topics of um, kind of a bridge between science and spirituality and how that can help us live an authentic and successful life. 
Well, it sounds, I need to listen to the podcast because it sounds right up my alley. Violet, I'm so honored to meet you. I think that you're wonderful. I think that what you're doing is just incredible. And I hope that people reach out to you. I know I actually might be because what you do is right up my alley and exactly what I need right now. Um, I think it's really important that on a side note that we, we deal with our trauma. You know, I say a lot of times if you're somebody like I'll use myself, I was, I was, um, diagnosed with complex PTSD a few years ago, Mm -hmm. stemming from my childhood. And for my whole life, I ran and I hid and I hid behind characters and my humor. And I was so afraid to be my authentic self, you know? And I was like, well, nobody's going to like me if I'm, if I'm not funny, Megan, or I'm not this, or I'm not that, or I don't look a certain way until one day, like I kind of talked about, I got to a breaking point. And I think what you do in life, um, where we have such a short time on this planet, live your life, be happy, make other people happy. I say that at the end of every podcast. Um, because we're only here for such a short time. And if you have stuff that you have to work through, really try to reach out to somebody and work through it. If that's one person, like you said, your partner in the beginning was, you know, you were afraid to reach out and you found that one person, find that one person, go to the one person and say, I'm struggling or I'm not happier. This is like really breaking me. And that one person can maybe help you reach out to another person. And then it kind of turns into, like I say a lot, like where you're building the campfire and then the sparks start to fly and then the fire spreads. So it's really important that you can run for the rest of your life from your trauma and that wounded inner child like we talked about. But it's going to catch up to you. It's eventually going to catch up to you. And so we have the choice in our life. You and I are lucky because we got to a point where we said enough. And I hope my listeners that are listening, each and every one of you know that you deserve better in life. So if you're feeling the ways that we talk about that we were feeling, be proud of yourself, love yourself because enough is enough and you deserve to be happy and you deserve to be free in this life and you deserve to work on yourself and kind to yourself and love yourself and so I'm going to stop get off my soapbox and once again thank you so much Violet it was such an honor to meet you and everyone be happy by making other people happy thank you so much for having me Megan this was such a pleasure and a joy thank you I love your work thank you judging Megan with Megan Judge When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.